We look at another dream this morning, a second dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, he discovered that God is indeed worthy, and he needed to bow before this God that, that rules and reigns. Daniel chapter 4, I want to begin reading at verse 34, get the end of the story first. Uh, Daniel chapter 4, starting at verse 34. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but He does according to His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At that time my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished and my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are true and his ways are just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time now when we can open the pages of your word. Lord, would you teach us today? Would you remind us that you are the God who rules and reigns? You are an authority of over all the kings of the world, all the nations of the world, as well as us here, Lord, this morning as we worship you. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be pleasing, O God, in your sight. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this fourth chapter of Daniel is, is probably one of the most unique chapters in all the Bible. It's actually a letter, a letter that King Nebuchadnezzar wrote and sent, according to verse 1, to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in all the earth. So think of how many people must have heard this letter being read. And what makes this letter especially interesting is what Nebuchadnezzar says in it. He is openly admitting to everyone his pride, his temporary insanity, his beast-like behavior, and then he gives glory to the God of Israel for his recovery. I don't think I need to tell you that that's a remarkable thing. <laughs> a pagan king of a pagan kingdom sending a letter to all the people in his kingdom announcing what had happened in his life. How he'd been humbled before God we came to understand that the God of Israel is the God who reigns. As we look at this uh, text of Scripture, there are three times that the theme of this chapter is stated. Uh, we find it in verse 17, verse 25, and verse 32. And it's almost word for word in all three places. And here's the gist of it. 
the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. That's why I've given the title of my message today, God Rules, the Most High. He bestows the kingdoms of the world as he sees fit. So, since that theme is stated three times, I thought, well, it's got to be a three-point outline, right? It's got to be. Here's a, here's, a chance, here's a time when it has to be. And there are three lessons then we learn about how God rules. And the first lesson is this, that God rules by exalting the lowly. God rules by exalting the lowly. Look at verse 17. There's the first time we find that theme. This is the sentence, or excuse me, this sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers. And the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know. And here's the theme that the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes. And then notice this last phrase and sets it over the lowliest of men. Sets it over the lowliest of men. Now, it seems pretty obvious that Nebuchadnezzar didn't see himself, at least initially, as one of the lowliest of men. He tells us in verse 4 what things were like before he had a very frightening dream. He says in verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. Now, you can understand why he would say, you know, I was at ease because, well, as far as the things of the world are concerned, he had everything he could want. He had power. He had wealth. He had fame. He had servants that did whatever he asked them to do. He could make decrees that impacted thousands of people. As a man who was flourishing in his palace, do you think he saw himself as lowly? <laughs> I highly Doubt it. But when God spoke to him in a dream, then things began to change. He went from a man who was at ease and flourishing to a man who was fearful and alarmed. Look at verse 5. I saw a dream and it made me fearful and these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. So here's this king flourishing in the palace, at ease in his house. Now he is fearful and he is alarmed. So what's he going to do? Well, you call for the wise men, right? Surely they ought to know. They are the religious gurus. They are the ones who will tell me the answer. But they had no answer. So, what's left? Better call on Daniel. So for the second time, Daniel is called. He interprets the dreams of the king. His pagan religion failed him again as before. And so Daniel recites the dream. Or Nebuchadnezzar describes his dream. At first, it appears to be quite good, quite positive. He describes it, verse 10. These were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. I was looking and behold, there was a tree. In the midst of the earth, and its height was great. 
The tree was large and became strong, and its height reached the sky, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Imagine that. How huge. Its foliage was beautiful, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the sky dwelt in its branches, and all living creatures fed themselves from it. It didn't seem so bad, right? And if you have the mindset of Nebuchadnezzar at this point, and you think you're pretty hot stuff, he's probably thinking, hmm, maybe that applies to me. Maybe I'm the tree. Maybe I'm this, this great one that fills the earth and everyone is accountable to me. What could be so bad about a great tree that provided food for all the living creatures? But then the dream, as we might say, turned into a nightmare. Verse 13, I was looking in the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. He shouted out and spoke as follows, cut or chop down the tree, cut off its branches, strip off its foliage, scatter its fruit, let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches, yet leave the stump with its root in the ground but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beasts and the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers, and the decision is a command of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind, and bestows it on whom he wishes, and sets it over, there's that phrase again, the lowliest of men. Now, that last phrase is really a key to understanding what kind of a problem Nebuchadnezzar had. God sets over the kingdoms of the world the lowliest, the lowliest of men. But here's the problem. Nebuchadnezzar didn't think he was lowly. Not at all. In fact, his view of himself was exactly the opposite. And we know that it's true because he himself says so at the end of the chapter, the very last verse of the chapter, verse 37. He said, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. So Nebuchadnezzar's problem was that he was walking in pride. He thought more highly of himself than he ought to think. Now, that's a common problem, isn't it, with human nature? We think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Perhaps that's why Scripture often warns us about pride. Romans 12:3 For through the grace given to me I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself as he uh, than he ought to think but to think so as to have sound judgment. 1 Peter 5 we read this morning you younger men likewise be subject to your elders listen young people and all of you 
clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. All kinds of verses that warn us about pride call us to humility, to humble ourselves before this great and this awesome God. I remember hearing about a little boy who got some kind of an award. He was looking at that award. I don't know if it was a trophy or a ribbon or whatever it was. Just kind of contemplating, you know. And he said with his mother there, how many great men do you think there are in the world? Of course, including himself. And her response was very wise. She said, one less than you think, my son. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar, I wonder if he said that. How many great men do you think there are in the world? What did God say to him? One less than you think. Why? Because he rules. And he rules by exalting the, the, the lowly. And that was a lesson that Nebuchadnezzar had to learn the hard way, didn't he? So there's the first lesson. The second lesson is this, that God rules by disciplining the disobedient. When Daniel was asked to interpret the dream for Nebuchadnezzar, it's interesting what he says. Verse 19, it says that Daniel was appalled for a while. And his thoughts alarmed him, much like Nebuchadnezzar was alarmed. And then he said to the king, My Lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. What was Daniel saying? This is not good, king. This is not good at all. It was going to be difficult for Nebuchadnezzar. And you get the sense that that Daniel felt bad for him, felt sorry for him, what was going to happen to him. And so here's the interpretation. Verse 24, O king, this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, that you be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place be with the beasts of the field. And you will be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time will pass over you until, here's that theme again, until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever He wishes. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar, you are going to be disciplined by God in a painful way until you recognize who you are and who God is. That you are king of Babylon only because God has placed you there. He is the one that rules all mankind And that includes you. Now, wouldn't you say that it took some boldness for Daniel to share that with Nebuchadnezzar? I mean, he was the most powerful ruler in the world that day. And he said, you know, I wish this applied to someone else, but this applies to you, O king. And he told him exactly what it was like. You are going to be eating eating grass with the cattle. You're going to be drenched with the dew of heaven. 
until you acknowledge, until you recognize who you are and who God is, that He rules and He reigns. Now, if you look at verse 27, with this warning, Daniel actually offered some hope to the king. He said, therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. In other words, listen to me. You've got to take this to heart. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. In other words, your only hope, O king, is to turn from your sin. You've lived a prideful, self-centered life. Perhaps God will show kindness to you. But you've got to listen to me. You need to turn away from your sin. Now, you'd think that the interpretation of the dream, as well as the warning that Daniel gave to the king, would have made an immediate impact on his life. If you knew exactly what was in store for you, I mean, the, the warning could not have been clearer. But it didn't change anything in the heart of Nebuchadnezzar, at least not yet, because verse 28 says all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, so God waited twelve months. He's walking on the roof of the palace. And he's reflecting, kind of like the young boy was reflecting about his award. He's saying, is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built, really, I myself have built, as a royal residence by the might of, of my power and for the glory of my majesty? You talk about a self-centered man looking around and saying, you know what, I did this. This is mine. Glory belongs to me. Verse 31 is very interesting. While the word was in the king's mouth, right while he sang this, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you. Wow. You will be driven away from mankind. Your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You'll be given grass to eat like cattle. And seven periods of time will pass over you. Here it is again. Until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever He wishes. Verse 33, immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from mankind, began eating grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Can you think of Eating grass for your food? Your body has feathers on it? And you've got claws like the claws of a bird. You think the dream was frightening? How about the fulfillment of that dream? 
Can you imagine how fearful that must have been? Do you see what God does to kings when they refuse to acknowledge that He rules? He overrules. And when I say that, I think of Ovidi Dirud, Sam's, Peter's, Naomi's, Becky's mom. Because when she would pray, at least when I visited her in the nursing home and whatever, she would say, God, rule and overrule. And I always remembered that. Rule and overrule. And that's what God does to the kings of the earth. If they do not acknowledge His rule, God can overrule. God can remove any king, any kingdom, any time He wants. And He did that here with Nebuchadnezzar. He shows the kings of the earth that He is the Most High God. Look at history. Pharaoh. Moses comes to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. What does Pharaoh say? Well, who's the Lord? I don't know who he is. I can let him go. What did God say? Yes, you will. I rule and I overrule. King Sennacherib, prideful king of Assyria. He comes to the people of Israel and says, You think God can deliver you? Don't listen to these prophets. What nation has been able to withstand my powerful king, Sennacherib? What did God do? God says, oh no, I'll just remove you too. I'll remove you. You go through history. Alexander the Great, the Emperor Nero, more in our day, Adolf Hitler. God always has the final word. He always has the final word. And that's why we don't need to be afraid of what happens in the world today because God rules. Jesus is ruler of all. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we have the opportunity, we have the privilege now to bow before Him. Acknowledging Him as our Savior. Acknowledging Him as the one who came to give us life. Because one day every knee will bow. But many will bow before Him as their judge. We have the privilege to bow before Jesus today as our Savior, to acknowledge that He is worthy as we've sung this morning, right? To open the scroll, open the seal. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb that was slain. Oh, bow before Him today, right? Today. God rules. By disciplining the disobedient. But then the third lesson we learn here is that God rules by restoring the repentant. Nebuchadnezzar ate grass with the beasts of the field for what Daniel describes as seven periods of time. And many Bible students believe that this refers to a period of seven years, perhaps, Maybe more, who knows? Which must have seemed like a long time, wouldn't you think? If you're eating grass with the cattle, with feathers and claws, seven periods of time, whether it's years or whatever it is, it must have seemed like a long time. But you know what? The sin of pride is so deeply rooted in our sinful nature that it took that amount of time 
for this king to be humbled because Nebuchadnezzar tells us it was at the end of that period that he finally acknowledged that God rules. Verse 34, but at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. Just think of that. It took that long. (laughs) However long that seven periods of time was, it was at the end of that period that he finally raised his eyes toward heaven and finally acknowledged who he was and who God is. His dominion, he says, is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And notice this, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, including Nebuchadnezzar. He does according to His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Wow, what a change, huh? From one walking on His palace and saying, Wow, look at this great kingdom. that My power and My glory and My majesty. It's all Mine. And I deserve it. Then God says, No, you don't. And there was a raising of his eyes toward heaven. An acknowledgement that God's kingdom will not end. That nothing, they are nothing in his sight. God can do whatever he wants to do. No one can stop him. So finally, after seven years or seven periods of time of learning who he is in relationship to God, he finally took Daniel's advice. He repented of his pride. And God restored him. I find it interesting, the last phrase of this letter is the thing that Nebuchadnezzar wanted all the people of his kingdom to know. The last thing that sticks in our mind as we read this passage, he is able to humble those who walk in pride. I learned that from my father when I was a young teenage boy, challenging him to a wrestling match. Now, he was 40 when I was born, so when I was 12, 52, I mean, that's old. I mean, you're over the hill, right, when you hit 52. And he told me several times, he said, son, you're dealing with dynamite. And I said, oh, yeah, dynamite, just a little firecracker. You're dealing with dynamite. I found out I was dealing with dynamite. He put me on my back on that living room floor so fast. (laughs) And he said, now say uncle. I didn't want to say uncle. So I said, okay, you win. He said, son, you didn't hear what I said, did you? I said, say uncle. He would not let me up until seven periods of time had passed by. I did not want to say uncle. You know what that taught me? You got some pride, boy. You got some pride in you. And God has to root out that pride in us, doesn't he? We might not be like Nebuchadnezzar as the king of Babylon, but we've got pride in us. Right? 
We need to humble ourselves before the God who rules and reigns. Acknowledging our need for Jesus. Acknowledging our dependence upon Him. Because if we do not, if we do not, He is able to humble those who walk in pride. Let's pray. Lord, You are the ruler of all. All of us, no matter who we are, are regarded as nothing. We're just nothing. But yet you loved us, Lord, so much that you gave your Son for us. And you work in our lives to bring us to that place of of humbling ourselves before you. Acknowledging our need for you, our dependence upon you, that we are not self-made men. The glory does not belong to us. The glory belongs to you. And one day, Lord, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, gathered around your throne that you are worthy of all praise because you are the God who rules and reigns. Lord, help us this morning to bow at your feet, acknowledging our need and our dependence upon you. And may you, God, rule and reign in our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.